0: Hallelujah. Amen. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm not a naturally envious person. It's, it's not my nature at all to be envious. I'm actually quite content with my life and what God is doing with my life. But now and again, you get a twinge of envy. Maybe just to sanctify it, we can call it holy envy. Um and when I met our speaker and especially I found out his lineage there was a twinge of envy Uh, when you come from a generation of people who have followed God committed themselves to Jehovah served him um, in different capacities you know, uh, grandfather, father, yourself you know, all serving God uh, it kind of marked, if you know what I mean, there was a twinge of envy Because I wish it was the same Thank God for my my own par- parents To the extent, certainly my mother, my father on his way um, Thank God for my m- maternal Well, let's just end there <laughs> Are you laughing at me? Yours is probably worse than mine <laughs> And and then I heard that um, his, his father was head of the Evangelical Alliance. His father was, started Spring Harvest. Um, he became chair of Spring Harvest. He's director of mission for the Evangelical Alliance. He was head of Youth for Christ. I'm thinking, man, my dad could have done a bit. Well, they could have tried a bit more. My life might have been easier. And there are many things I love about him. I love the partnership we have with the gospel i love his passion for souls it is contagious uh, his passion for souls Um, i love his energy you know he's just energized uh, and and i can go on and on and uh, maybe the video tribute will add to what i have to say but right after the video introduction i'd like us to rise to our feet right after the video introduction and welcome Uh, a friend and a brother uh, someone who's as committed as you are and as passionate as you are for revival uh, Gavin Calver but let's listen to the video introduction and then let's welcome him warmly and let him know he's free in Jesus house to flow however the spirit of God leads him
2: Gavin Calver is an ordained evangelist author and public speaker currently serving as Director of Mission England with Evangelical Alliance. He is responsible for developing creative initiatives to draw member organisations together. He is also the Chair of Spring Harvest and the former National Director of Youth for Christ. Gavin has a strong burning passion to see the Gospel reach every single person in the UK. Please rise and give a warm welcome to Gavin Calver.
1: A misunderstanding what God's plan is for the United Kingdom. Forgive me, I really should care, but the Lord knew Brexit was coming and He knows how it ends. We need to stop faffing around and worrying about what the world's worrying about and deal with the issues of eternity, not the issue of this minute. You know, if you if you misunderstand your landscape, you get it all wrong. I did 14 years at Youth for Christ. My last preach at Youth for Christ was starting a work in Newham in East London. And I had joined Youth for Christ as a 21-year-old who was cool and down with the kids. I assumed in the 15 years since that nothing had changed until I used the word in context that the young people use, sick. (laughs) Now they use it to mean good. And at the end, this 14-year-old comes up to me, and goes, Wagwan blood, you is too old to use the word sick. I realised in that moment something had changed. If you want to put it in other terms, I'm too old to shop in River Island. It's time to shop in next. But unlike 95% of white clergy in the UK, m and is a decade away. We misunderstand things, we get them wrong. I had another one I'll never forget when my daughter first saw a Muslim in the full hijab, a Muslim woman. She turned to my wife, Anne, and she says, Mummy, why is that woman dressed like that? And my my wife said, well, Amelie, she's a Muslim. So Amelie said, well, Mummy, what's a Muslim? So Amelie said, well, well, my my wife said, well, Amelie, um, they take their faith really seriously. They live their lives by a really strict set of rules, and they've as yet not been liberated. Amelie said, Mummy? Is Daddy a Muslim? (laughs) There are moments. You know, when Paul wrote to Rome and said, I'm bound, I'm eager, I'm not ashamed. And when the city of Rome was the ultimate in imperial power and pride. When people would travel from all over the world on a religious pilgrimage to stare at how wonderful what man had created, Paul... A funny-looking little fellow with crooked legs, a bald patch, no great rhetorical gifts, bad eyesight, wrote, I am bound, I am eager, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In his day, he would have looked like a fool. Two thousand years on, Rome is in ruins and Jesus is alive. We've got to stop misunderstanding what's going on. Equally as my dear brother Yemi shared before about Lazarus's tomb, we misunderstand something else about Lazarus's tomb. Do you know why Jesus has to say, Lazarus, come out? it's a communal tomb. There's 15 dead people in there. If Jesus just said, come out, all 15 would have done it once. It's like a Scooby-Doo moment as all the corpses come to life. It's lucky Lazarus wasn't a common name. Can you imagine if there'd been three of them in there and Jesus said, not you, not you, it's that one I want. (laughs) Friends, we need to understand our current moment. We are living in the greatest opportunity for the gospel that the United Kingdom has known in living memory. We are living in a moment when the world is hopeless, but we have hope. And it is time for the church to go for it. And, friends, I need your help. Because in heaven, we're all one. But on earth, white folks need some help. We need some help. We need more prayer in this nation, we need more passion in this nation. We need more absolute, unbridled, uncompromising commitment to the message of Jesus in this nation. And we need it quick. So I wanted to just share a few thoughts with you today from Psalm 100. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn it on? I've got a paper copy. It's page 449 in my Bible, if that helps. And I want to read you the five verses from Psalm 100. It says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You know what I love about this psalm? Five short verses, but two verses of exhortation, followed by verse three, explanation. Another verse of exhortation, followed by explanation. This psalm screams of thankfulness. We live in a world that will keep telling you you haven't got what you need or you want. If you just do this thing, you can look ten years younger. You know in the end, you still die. I remember when I was eight years old, if I could just get a Sega Mega Drive, I'd be the happiest kid in Britain. Wouldn't want one now? The lies of the world is to be ungrateful. The antidote is thankfulness. One of the moments the Lord spoke to me more clearly than any other time in my life was when I was watching a terrible cartoon called Veggie Tales. <laughs> now, I hadn't come across this till I had kids. And they're like singing fruit and vegetables, all singing stuff about the Bible. It's actually quite good. And there's this one episode. And it was all about getting stuff to make you happy and in the episode the more stuff you bought the happier you were supposed to be until there was one kid who had nothing and when they were given a piece of cake on their birthday they were the happiest person in the program and in that moment god got me my kids are watching on the sofa i'm on the floor in my lounge crying on the rug i'm like what am i doing i mean i'm british hold it together And I'm crying on the rug and I feel God say to me, too often you come to me with a shopping list, not with gratitude. And since that day, I've started a new habit. I can't not do it now. Every morning when I wake up, the first thing I do is I thank God for three things. You can always find them. Even if it's this, I woke up, the sun rose, and England don't have to lose a penalty shootout today. (laughs) There are always three things to be thankful for. It transforms who we are. This psalm cries out with thankfulness. Let's be a thankful people. But there are three really key things I wanted to share with you. And the first is this. This psalm tells us that we belong. It tells us we belong. I lived in exile for 14 years. I lived in the West Midlands. Now, I'm from London, right? So I moved to Hales-Owen, And I went to this area, it was where Youth for Christ was based, and I played football in the same league for 14 years. And the nickname for me was Flash Cockney, that was nice of them. And I was constantly told, you've got an accent, you don't fit, this isn't right, this doesn't work. The only time I felt at home in those 14 years, other than church of course, was whenever I went to a Wimbledon AFC away game. See I support the same football team as Jesus. Jesus. AFC Wimbledon. People say, why does Jesus support Wimbledon? That's easy. He cares about the marginalised, those who've been mistreated and those who've been forced to live in exile. And, um, but when it came to football, you'd get in this tribe, you'd realise you belong, you're part of this. We sing the same songs, we wear the same clothes, we sound the same, we want the same thing, we share in the same constant misery. But you know what? We're in it together. This psalm, Psalm 100, shouts out of an even bigger belonging. It screams out, We are gods. It talks of his everlasting love. There's a Hebrew word that's beautiful here, hesed. It comes from their word for stork. You know the bird, the stork. The Hebrews noticed that the stork had an uncommon love and protection for their young. The stork showed a love for their young that other animals didn't show. That's where this word hesed comes from. Psalm 104, we learn that the storks built their nests up high. And so they said, God's love is like that for us. He nurtures us from our enemies. He helps us be brave even when it's difficult. He is good and his love does not depend on us. It depends on his eternal nature, which is good. You know, I'm feeling really clearly from the Lord at the moment that he is calling me in the next decade to be really brave in this country. That's hard, you know. That's really hard. But with bravery comes the promise of the hesed love. Comes the promise that the Lord will look after me like the stork looked after his young. And Psalm 100 is the unclouded summit. It closes Psalms 93 to 100. It declares this wonderful love, but it also says we should be joyful. You know, when I was in Youth for Christ, we surveyed 2,000 non-Christian young people. What would you recommend the church did to make it better for younger generations? Do you have the top two answers? And this is terrifying. Number one, add some laughs. Number two, have a happy week. Isn't that terrifying? British young people think we need to have a happy week so that we can be more joyful. Yet we're the people who are the people of joy. I know Jesus. That lights up my whole world. By the light of the world I see everything else. And also, we belong to this incredible family. Nothing else in the UK can do what the church can do. I live not far from here, in a place called Northwood, and my wife is the Associate Minister at Stanmore Baptist, and we're having a, a men's curry night, so we went to the curry house on my street, it's called The Beena in Northwood, it's a fabulous curry house. We were in there, there was 22 men. We were aged 15 to 80 odd. Within the 22 men, there were 15 ethnicities. The guy, Al, who runs the curry house, I'm doing my best to lead him to Jesus, so I'm spending as much time as possible in there. He says to me, what are you lot? I said, you tell me, what are we? He says, you're the church. I said, why? He says, well, you're that vicar type. I said, why else? He says, no one else can get this bunch of people that are this different in the room together. Friends, in the church, everyone has the opportunity to belong because bravery comes from belonging. But secondly, we have direct access to the living God. We totally underestimate this. We have direct access to the living God. We spend so much time doing other stuff, but we've got access to the living God. Oh, hang on. I hate these, don't you? Just texting my mum, telling her it's going well. I hate screens. Screens dominate our lives, we spend all our time on them. We've got direct access to the God who successfully predicted and delivered his own death and resurrection, and yet we're faffing around wanting likes on Twitter. This dopamine high that these devices have taught us to have is taking away from our devotion to Jesus because it's a big, fat distraction. The makers of the iPhone have nearly all banned their children from having one. You know the, you know the um, screen time app that's coming recently? Do you know what that is? Six of the eight of the leadership team of Apple now have teenagers. Before they did, it wasn't needed. We, this is stealing our devotion. We have direct access to the living God and we're faffing around on devices and frankly, I've had enough. <laughs> we need to realize that we have direct access to the king. We need to change the way we hold ourselves. And for those of you who suddenly think I've done the worst thing in the world, you're the ones God's really speaking to. (laughs) Tim Keller said, the only person who dares wake up a king at three in the morning for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. Friends, we have direct access to the living God. But many Christians are using the servant's entrance to get to God. It's what's covered in this passage. Many of us, when we come to him in prayer, we think we come through the back door, not the front door. We've misunderstood the five Psalms before Psalm 100. We think the king is honoured by people sneaking through the back door. He's not. He tells us in Psalm 100, verse 4, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. You know, Psalm 100 and Psalm 101 are the royal protocol on how to approach God. And and in this country, we're weird about royal protocols. We like royals here. And I remember as a boy, Princess Margaret was coming to my school to open a new building. And this was really exciting. And we all wanted to meet the princess. And they were giving out different jobs, giving jobs to us. And me and my three mates, who I'll be honest, we weren't the model students at that time. We were asked to be the car park monitors for Princess Margaret. We were so excited. We took our roles so seriously. We all went to school that day. (laughs) And we stood in the car park, we're really excited, we're thinking, what a privilege, what an honour, we're going to get to meet Princess Margaret. And an hour and a half went by. And the teacher who was overseeing us sort of, we said to him, can we go and see if everything's okay? He said, okay, you can go now. And we went in and we said, where's Princess Margaret? They said, she's been and gone. She said, the four of you were put in that car park. Because we knew if you were out of the way and she came through the back door, you wouldn't ruin the day. You know, (laughs) it's all right, I've got over it. But, friends. With Jesus, with Jesus, no one's put in that position. We have direct access to the living king. And we've we've got to get more serious about it. We've got to raise the bar with this direct access. We belong, yes. But then we have direct access to the saviour of the world. You know, I've had enough of standing in churches throughout this nation singing, saviour, he can move the mountains then being told by people their biggest prayer request is to be able to redecorate the back hall. It's like, no! Those two things don't go together. We worship a God for what he's done, but we don't believe he can do it now. But we have direct access. We belong to his family. And we have to remember what he has done for the moments when it feels like he's not doing anything so we can keep going. One of the greatest things the Lord did in my life, I was 10 years old, I was at Spring Harvest, and we were gathered around and... They said at the front, we're gonna start praying for healing. You know the greatest thing you can do with your children and young people is just let them join in. We too often don't let them join in. And then we were joining in and my friend James next to me, they said, does anyone want prayer for healing? He takes his sock off. Now believe you me, 10 year old boy taking his sock off. That's almost like a, a nuclear explosion. And he takes his sock off and he says, I want prayer because I want my verruca to go. And I wasn't gonna touch it, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I was 10 and I was horrible too, but not that horrible. But I just prayed in the name of Jesus, this varuka would go, and bang, it went. You know, a 10-year-old boy praying for a varuka to go is what's given me the faith to pray for so many things since. I don't know why God cares about Veruca, I'm not sure he does, he cares about kids. But we've got to realise we have direct access to God in all circumstances. And you know what, sometimes when it's just hard, we need to know he's there. Non-Christians say, why does God allow suffering? Christians say, where is God when I'm suffering? And the answer is, he's holding your hand. You know, it was 16 years ago, because I've been married for 18 years this summer. I got married when I was two. And then 16 years ago, my wife Anne decided that she wanted to have children. Now, you fellas will know that when your wife decides that, you go along with it. And after a few years... I felt really sorry for Anne because nothing was happening and so she clearly had some fertility issues. And we went through the tests and she was fine. And I remember being tested and I remember sitting in a doctor's surgery and being told you're not able to have children. Now I was told I wasn't able to have children on the same week as a 14 year old in my youth told me she was pregnant. Those are hard moments aren't they? A month after being told it was impossible for me to have children, my wife got pregnant. Saviour, he can move the mountains. Yeah. He can also impregnate women from sterile men if he chooses to. And nine months later, we welcomed our daughter, Amelie, into the world. Absolute miracle. Then about 18 months later, my dad was over. My lineage was referred to. My old man lives in America now. He left the United Kingdom 20 years ago to run the American Tear Fund. And um, he left here, but when he comes back I like to make him feel at home. So I take her out, I always make sure I buy them the national dish of Great Britain. So I always go to get a curry. And <laughs> I come back with this curry, and my dad looks like he's seen a ghost, and my wife Anne's crying. She takes me to a side room, she says, Gavin, I'm pregnant again. Oh, okay. I'm like, <laughs> I've got to be honest, first thing came to my head, who's the dad? But I didn't say that. <laughs> didn't say that. Obviously it's another miracle. And um, we go for the scan. Now I'm going to help you fellas who haven't had kids yet. When you go to a scan, right, just pretend you can see it. And even though it looks like the combination between a sultana and a mushroom, just say it's cute. So we're there and we're staring at this screen and I'm making out I can see something, got no idea what I'm looking at. And it's an ultrasound scan, but tragically, there's no sound. And the midwife says, Reverend and Mrs. Calver, I'm so sorry. Your baby's not got a heartbeat. It's died in the womb. And in that moment, I don't know what to do. Jesus, I don't know what to do. I can deal with miracle babies, and I can deal with no babies, but this, feel, this feels too much. And at that moment, my, my daughter, Amelie, came and hugged me on the leg. And I felt God speak to me almost more clearly than he has at any point in my life do not be ungrateful for that which you don't have but be grateful for that which you do and be faithful to me as I'm faithful to you. (laughs) Two years later, Anne got pregnant again. By this point I've just accepted I've been healed. (laughs) I'm not being funny, It's every time they said at any conference if you've got fertility issues, get prayed for. I was straight up there, so by then I've been healed. And. At 18 weeks, it turned out that our baby in the womb was really sick. Now, when we were told I couldn't have kids, I had a 0.5% chance of having a girl and a 0% chance of having a boy. Went for a scan at 18 weeks, and it was quite clear it was a boy. But you know you've got a problem at a scan when you start with two medics and you end up with 24. They all came to have a look. And they looked at our boy in the womb and there was all kinds of fluid around all his organs and stuff. And basically, Anne and I have got antibodies that less than 1% of the population have got. It's really complicated. And they offset each other. And they told us that our son had a 5% chance of making it into the world. But they'd have to do a blood transfusion in the womb the next day. 18 weeks. You tell me this country's not pro-life, but they will fight for babies at 18 weeks. And there were two donors on the blood list with the right blood because our blood's so rare. And the next day we went in for a blood transfusion in the womb. It was made very clear to us that the chance of our son making it was almost impossible, and if he did, he'd probably have brain damage, but they were going to fight. And they did a blood transfusion in the womb. They stuck a needle into Anne's stomach, then into her womb. Then the baby's too small to get a vein, so they go into the baby's stomach, take out half the blood and put in the new blood. As the new blood goes in, it kind of fizzes. And then I knew that I had to sit by Anne's bed and pray while she slept for four hours. Because until she came around, what they would do is, the only thing they could do was intervene. There was no cure. So if the baby was moving when they scanned four hours later, we would fight again. If the baby wasn't moving, it was over. And I sat by Anne's bed and I prayed a prayer out loud. I said, Lord Jesus, if this baby lives, you are good. And if this baby dies, you are still good. Somehow, tomorrow morning, I am going to get up and still pray that you are good. We had the scan, the baby was moving. This kept going. In the end, we had nine blood transfusions in the womb. My wife Anne had 38 scans. Each time these blood transfusions happened, I prayed the same prayer. At 30 weeks, they said to us, this is a 30-week baby. You'd be worried if your baby was coming out at 30 weeks, right? The specialist just says to us, better out than in. So they're getting, the baby's going to be delivered at 30 weeks. We're told in no uncertain terms that we can't touch him, but we can have a brief look at him. Because they've got to whisk him off to incubators and other stuff. Baby comes out of the womb, he gets held up. In that moment, he wheezes in the face of the person delivering him. <laughs> Two things happen. Anne's embarrassed. I'm like, that's my son. <laughs> he Goes to an incubator for three months. But you know what? It's no problem of any type. There's no, there's no brain damage, in fact, he's clever. We're not sure where that's come from. But it's an amazing miracle, but if it wasn't a miracle, God's still good and I still have direct access to him. I had direct access to Jesus the day I was told I couldn't have children and boy did I use it. I had direct access to the Lord to celebrate when we found out Anne was first pregnant. I had direct access to the Lord to mourn when a baby died in the womb. I had direct access to the Lord when I've never felt so lonely as sitting in a hospital room next to my sleeping wife, assuming my son's going to die. But you know, in those moments, where was Jesus? He was holding my hand. We belong to his family. And we have direct access to God. Those two things should make us more confident, more assured... I'm more aware that it's going to be okay. Yeah, okay. Because you know what? We know the end of the story. Yeah. This is what I don't understand with Christians. They get so worried when the government says, well, this law might happen or this might happen. Yeah, we fight those things, but stop worrying. We've got the end of the story. Yeah. Throughout the history of the church, people have thought, we'll just kill a few Christians. That'll deal with it. It's worked really well for them, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> My advice to people around the world, just leave the church alone. Leave it alone to get fat and comfortable, then it doesn't cause any problems put it under pressure and the real Christians rise to the top and the nation gets changed. I would never want Christianity to be being marginalised as it is in the UK, but I don't moan about it. Because for too long we have lived in the middle of this culture, utterly acceptable, utterly normal and utterly not dangerous. It's time for the church to say no, we're not defined in our world by who we are, but by whose we are. We are children of the living God and we belong. And we have direct access, and finally, we're called to participate. It's not all right just to belong. It's not all right just to pray nice prayers on our own. We're also called to participate. There are seven commands in this psalm. Shout joyfully, verse one. Serve, verse two. Come before him, verse two. Know him, verse three. Enter, verse four. Give thanks, verse four. Bless, verse four. Taken together, these commands compel the church to participate and to participate in a way that could change this land. As I was leaving youth work behind, I was asked in a radio interview, what's been your most significant moment in youth work? That was easy. It's a moment I shared when myself and my friend, who many of you will know, Roy Crown, met these three girls who wanted to start a Christian union. They'd been in year nine at school, that's kind of 14. And one of them was strong and stroppy and bolshy, and the other two went along with it. And the three of them went to see the head teacher. And the strong one says, sir, we want to start a Christian union. He says, no, not in this school. You'll upset the other faiths. We don't do that stuff here. We're not doing it here. The three girls turn to walk out of the room when the bullshy one turns around. She says, sir, either you change your mind or we will pray every day that you leave this school. He doesn't change his mind. Six months later, he gets up in assembly. He says, I never saw this coming, but I've got a new job, so I'm leaving the school. (laughs) The three girls look at each other and think, oh, no one told us prayer worked. (laughs) New head teacher comes in. This time it's a woman. They think sister, sister conversation. They go in to see her. The stroppy one says, Miss, we want to start a Christian union. She says, no, not in this school. You'll upset the other face for not doing it here. This time, the quiet girl's got an arm each of the stroppy girl. They're dragging her out of the head teacher's room. She's one leg in and one leg out. She's about to leave the room when she throws them off. And she says, Miss, do you know why your predecessor left? <laughs> now, she says to the head teacher, She says, Because I say to you what we said to him. Either you change your mind, or we will peacefully pray every day that you leave this school. She doesn't change her mind. Ten months later, she gets up in assembly. She says, I'm, I'm pregnant with twins. And I'm going to be leaving the school in the summer. At this point, the three girls will look at each other and go, <clears throat> Jedi we have. Now the new head teacher comes in. By this point, they are all stroppy. They are all bullshit. They are all in your face. They go up to him and they say, Sir, we want to start Christian union. He says, great! And they're like, oh. (laughs) He says, I'm an elder in a local church. He says, I'll come if you'll let me. I'll give you a budget too. (laughs) Of their year group of 100, the lowest attendance they ever had was 72. Friends, we are called to participate. The bar is called to be raised. We won't always know the impact like that. Sometimes you just go for it. But we are called to get braver. I look at the UK church and it's funny that Yemi talks about it. It's just asleep. And when you're asleep, what's going to happen? The world's just going to go off. And and we sit in little holy huddles moaning about what's happening in the world and how the nation's being stolen from us and everything else. No, salt and light. Salt brings flavour. Light brings light. It doesn't do it in holy huddles. It does it by being scattered. We're called to participate. And you won't always know how well it's gone. But you know what? We always do our best before God, don't we? I used to love preaching in young offenders institutes. The problem with it is you never knew how well it had gone. Because if the lads went to your chapel service, they got an hour out of their cell. And if they responded to your message, they got 15 minutes more out of their cell. So if you're ever feeling like a bit on the floor, your, your ego needs some help, go and preach in the young offenders institute. You'll feel like Billy Graham. But you were never sure quite what the impact was until last year i was preaching at a church in southwest london in teddington this mum comes up to me after the service she says thank you so much thank you so much i said oh it's been an absolute pleasure to be with you this morning she says oh no not for this morning that was bang average (laughs) she says thank you for 10 years ago when you preached in felton young offenders institute and my son who was in there gave his life to jesus and my son is now just about to go back in on the chaplaincy team, to lead other young offenders to Jesus. Friends, we're called to participate. We're called to participate. We find ourselves in the most incredible city in the world right now, and a city in which we could have a go at the Great Commission without leaving the tube map. But we're called to participate because we belong and we have direct access to God but we're called to raise our game wherever we're at in this. You know, at the Evangelical Alliance, we produce videos each week of people who've come to faith. Why? You want to change culture, tell a different story. We've got to tell the gospel story. By the way, I've seen more people come to faith in 2019 so far than the whole of 2018 put together. God's moving, things are happening. But we also put out videos of people sharing their faith. And we put this one video out of Ben, he's in year nine, he's about 14. bit of a geeky lad sharing his faith in school. That's hard, isn't it? You think it's hard to share your faith in your workplace or your house? You've got a front door with a lock, right? (laughs) School's difficult. And Ben had talked about this and stuff, but his grandma knew Ben was a Christian, but didn't know that Ben was on fire for Jesus. She went to church one Sunday night. Church that night was on sharing your faith. They said at the front, and we're just going to show a video from the Evangelical Alliance. It's of how you can share your faith. It's of this incredible lad who does so in school. His grandma sits there as she watches her 14-year-old grandson explaining how he shares his faith in one of the hardest places of the UK. The tears begin to pour. But what the grandma doesn't know is her friend Reg, who's six chairs down from her, is 92. Reg has never shared his faith with anyone, which is kind of a problem because he's likely to be seeing Jesus soon. <laughs> and once the service is finished... Reg stands up and he says, I want to be like Ben. That's what I love about the church. There's no chronology in the same way, is there? He says, I want to be like Ben. I've never shared my faith with anyone. Would you pray for me to share my faith? So he'll gather around this old fella, pray for him to share his faith. Four weeks later, he's got someone with him in church. It's his best friend Tommy. They've been best friends all their lives. Tommy's never known that Reg is a Christian. Four months after that, Reg holds the towel as Tommy gets baptised. We're called to participate. We belong. We have God with us but we participate. I want to encourage you too, things are happening in the United Kingdom. They really are. I preached at a church recently. The service was three and a half hours long. Before I joined the Evangelical Alliance, I thought an hour and a half was a long church service. I've now accepted that you go to church on Sunday and as long as you get back before Monday starts, that's kind of cool, right? It's like my wife said to me earlier, when will you be home? I said, I've got the foggiest idea, but if you wake up and I'm not there, there's a problem. But I went to this church three and a half hours long. In the middle, they had five baptisms and they gave the five testimonies. These five testimonies summed up to me how God is moving in the UK because it is not in one space or with one tribe. It is across the piece. The first testimony was a young girl from Ghana, she'd come here to study at university and her friend had invited her to church and she'd given her life to Jesus. The second was an Irish bloke from Southern Ireland, really strict Roman Catholic background. He'd come to the area for work and one of his friends was having their kid dedicated, so he went to the dedication. During a time of worship he was slain in the spirit. And he describes how he's slain in the spirit. He's on the floor and he's sort of saying, who are you? Because he doesn't know who the Holy Spirit is. And his life gets turned around by Jesus. Then there's a local woman. And her testimony was unbelievable. She was going to the bank to get declared bankrupt by the bank manager. But she didn't realise the bank manager was a Christian. He led her to Jesus. And then they found a way around it. It's amazing how creative you can be when you're both on the side of the angels, eh? Then there was a Peruvian lad in his mid-twenties. He'd moved to the area looking for work, wasn't a Christian at all, but he was a musician. He became friends with one of the worship leaders from the church. That worship leader invited him to play in the worship band even though he wasn't a Christian. If you've got a theological problem with that, just discuss later at what point the disciples became Christians. It's always fun. During one service, he's playing in the band and he feels compelled to surrender his life to Jesus. Jesus. So he puts his guitar down and comes and kneels down at the front gives his life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? But then finally was my new evangelistic hero. His name was Pete. Pete's homeless. Pete's been homeless for a long time. The church had a great homeless ministry and they'd bring a number of them on a Sunday and they'd go and work in the community. Through this homeless ministry, Pete had come to Jesus. But he says in front of everyone, I've had enough of you all trying to stop me being homeless. He said, the only way to really reach the whole of the homeless is for a homeless person to do it. So stop trying to give me a house. He says, but make me one promise, because he says, I'm going to remain homeless for Jesus. He says, make me one promise. Promise me I'll never be hungry again. Friends, this is in the United Kingdom. This is across the peace. God is moving. The church has just got to get in line with what God's already doing. He wants to extend our prophetic imagination of what is possible. He reminds us that we belong. He gives us direct access. That's unbelievable. But then we're called to participate. And when the world says we can't, actually we can. I was so encouraged reading the Guardian newspaper recently. It's an unusual experience for me. They were talking about what the word of the year is going to be for this year. You know, every year there's a word of the year. Last couple of years, it's been post-truth and fake news. All of which is a load of garbage, isn't it? Because who comes up with that? They're not a word, they're two words. <laughs> but also, my mum had one word growing up to sum up all four, lying. But the favourite so far this year is this, vegan-jellical. A vegan is someone so passionate about their veganism that they can't help but leak that passion on anyone they meet. And it's said in the Guardian that when someone's really passionate about something, it's fair game for them to share it with people. So I just came away thinking, brilliant, the more evangelicals the better, because it means us evangelicals can really have a go, and that's totally socially okay. <laughs> the final thing I'd like to say this evening, before we minister a bit and see what the Lord wants to do amongst us, is this really is an incredible opportunity in the United Kingdom to share the gospel. There have been many moments in my lifetime, but this really is a moment. And there's a reason, I think. When I worked with young people, constantly knew 86% of people who come to faith are under 25 in this country. If there's a hole in the church roof, just put a bucket under it. Don't stop throwing resources at young people. However, older people, by definition, those over 25, they come to faith. They come to faith. Well, because do you know why? Because young people are wet cement, old people are dry cement. You can make a huge impact on a young life really easily. You can make an impact on an older life, but you know, it takes your, chis- your chisel, not just your hand. <laughs> but older people come to faith at junction moments. Junction moments are you get a job, you get married, you have a baby, you lose a baby. Someone dies, you move house, you get fired. Big moments are when older people come to faith. I was out running about nine months ago, and I felt the Lord say very clearly that for the next two or three years, the United Kingdom is at a big junction moment. The whole nation's at a junction moment. This is not a political comment, but people believe they can depend in the powers of this land. You can't. You can depend in the powers of Jesus, not this land. People in this country have been used to everything's fine. The economy will be all right. Everything will be fine. And the problem is, all the things they've been told to depend on are crushing around them. There's absolute chaos. And way back from Genesis 1 onwards, it's clear, the only thing that brings order out of chaos is the Lord. And so we have this incredible junction moment. Because... One of the things I don't like about the UK is we'll be fine in five or ten years' time, whatever we do. Because we'll stand on someone's neck to be okay. I hate that about this nation. But it means that the junction moment is only for so long. But in the next year or so, that person you've given up on, that prodigal you've stopped believing in, that that neighbour that you've stopped asking, that work colleague you've not spoken to, have another go! Because everything they've been taught to depend on is not dependable. There is a rock of ages. That is dependable. Do not miss this junction moment. And I really believe that the redeemed Christian church of God could lead the UK in this. I have not come across a more exciting, a more dynamic, a more prayerful, and yet a more hospitable part of the church than this part. But you guys are brave enough, and convinced enough, and determined enough. Please, let's work together to change this nation. I totally believe in my lifetime revival is coming to the UK. And and I really do, I really do. I mean we talk about lineage and stuff but I've come from a background where seven generations in a row are reverend and only one of those seven generations has seen a revival. We're going to see it again. And we're going to see it again because it needs to happen in this land but also because if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. We are a people that belong. So the church needs to stop being insecure and start being secure. We belong to God's family. We are a people with direct access to the living Lord. And we are a people called to participate. We mustn't miss it. Lord Jesus, we stand before you, we sit before you, and we say we love you. We love you. We love being part of your family. We love that we can talk to you anytime and we're sorry for the times when we don't. But we also want to participate in what you have and what you want to use us for. God, I think there's a couple of things the Lord might want to do. But I wonder if firstly and this is hard for me to ask you to do, and if you if you don't go with it, that's fine. But I felt as as I was talking about screens. There are some of us where, if we're honest, we do all right when we're in church, but we've got distracted in our lives from the number one relationship. It's not that we've stopped following him. We just got distracted. There's just some stuff that we're letting get in the way. There's some stuff that's stopping us. We want to see the overflow of God. We want to see God do incredible things. But if we're honest, we've got distracted. And it might not be a screen. It might be something else. But I think there's real power sometimes in saying, no, Lord, I want to leave this place doing it differently. I want to change my habits. I'm open to what change you want to bring. But I want to say, Lord, I'm sorry I've been distracted. I'm sorry I've not been where I should have been in my walk with you. If that's you, would you just be kind enough to stand so I know who I'm praying for? If there's some stuff you it has been getting in the way with you and Jesus, and you just need to break away from that. forgive me I don't know I don't know how you always do this here but I'm part of a family so we'd love to pray with you so if you've stood we're family aren't we we're family there's no condemnation here it's joy it's joy because a bunch of people have said stuff's distracting me I want to reconnect with the main thing would you be kind enough to make your way to the front so someone can pray with you? That would be a great honour for them to pray with
2: you.
1: Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much the honesty of your people tonight but lord we're excited we're excited about stopping some of the stuff that's getting in the way and just saying you know what back to basics me and you jesus i pray lord that a desire for your word would be birthed so that the the other stuff of the world doesn't match it i ask that prayer would be like a muscle the most natural thing in our bodies that that is the first thing we turn to lord i pray for those who work in environments where they can't pray openly, that arrow prayers and things would be a normal thing they'd be doing as they're trying to solve things at work and be different at work. They would include you in that. And Lord, we love technology. We're not anti-technology. But we don't want that to distract us from you. If there are habits that need to change, would you even now by your spirit, Lord, be speaking to us? I if members of the ministry team could come and pray. There's, there's one other thing I'd love to do when we've moved on in a while, but it'd be great to come and pray for these folks.
2: Have way. Lord, have way. There must be more than this. Oh, breath of God, come breathe within. There must be more than this. Spirit of God, we wait for you. Oh, glory for Lord yeah.
1: Isn't it amazing when we see God moving in people's lives? You know, one thing I felt as I prayed for two or three people was, wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord was the distraction? Instead of us being distracted by the things of this world, if the thing that was distracting us was the Lord. And maybe for some of us, that's something we need to take away. But you know, when we talk about junction moments and things, it's not just words. I totally believe that a renewed commitment to prayer an awareness of the Jesus we follow and the, how fertile the ground of the UK is for the gospel comes together to provide an unbelievable moment. And I think there are two things we do in that moment sometimes. On the one hand, we cry out to the Lord that the Lord of the harvest would reap a harvest. But it says in the Word of God, not that the harvest isn't plentiful, but the workers are few. So every so often there comes a moment where before we cry out for the harvest, we actually say we're here to be the workers. And, well, in my heart of hearts, it's all of us, but but if this isn't for you, that's fine. But if you would love the Lord to anoint, equip and enable you to make the most of this junction moment wherever you are, This is about your workplace, your family, your situation. This is about hope coming back for that relative who's nowhere with the Lord. This is about tube trains and taxi cabs and sharing faith in the places we find ourselves. I'd love us in this attitude of of praise and in this presence of the Spirit to firstly pray that we would be released and commissioned as workers. But then secondly to pray for a harvest. So if it's all of us that's cool it's not quite a full house we're okay but if you would love the Lord by His spirit to anoint and equip you to make the most of this junction moment for the sake of the gospel the days on in this nation of saying that person's an evangelist and that person isn't every person's a witness and people like me with big mouths and talk to people on trains you won't lose us whatever you do but we've lost the witnessing of the church And what the Lord needs is a great bunch of witnesses to say we make the most of this moment. When the world's worried about the world, we'll stay focused on the kingdom. We'll turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will seem strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's for you tonight. I'd love to invite you just to come to the front so we can pray together. Um, when Jesus wanted to change the world he started a youth group according to the late John Stott, the disciples of age 15 to 22 and those 12 young people changed the whole world what could this many people do in little England we could change this land for Jesus we could change this land for Jesus this land has a better Christian future than it's had a past but we all get to play our part. Now, this is slightly compl- complicated, I think, because there's so many of us. So I'm gonna pray, but then I'm gonna invite you to be my ministry team. Because one of the most incredible things in the kingdom is there's no such thing as a lonely Christian. It's not solitary Christianity doesn't exist. So it'd be great if you could pray with a person next to you that God would anoint, equip, and help them. But then do me a favor this week, will you? Would you pray every day for that person this week? Every day that God would use them, that God would open doors to them, that their witnessing would fall on, on great soil. But then I'm going to invite my brother Pastor Agu back. Why? Because I'm not here next, I'm not here tomorrow night. Well, I'm not planning to at the moment, who knows? But I'm not here every week. And this could be an important moment for us as a church community. So I think there's a kind of commissioning within this that we would actually be missionaries on our front lines. So, Lord Jesus, I want to pray that you would meet with each of my brothers and sisters right now. I want to ask, Lord, that you would anoint them by your Spirit for the task of sharing your truth. I thank you, Lord, that wherever we step, there you are. I thank you, Lord, that there is nowhere so dark that you aren't there. There is nowhere we go where we're not in a majority because we have you. And I pray that would help us all in the days ahead I ask for real favour I ask for opportunities I ask you to surprise us by people asking us before we have to share anything but I want to pray in the next two or three days for an open goal of an opportunity to share your gospel an opportunity so gaping so open and so unmissable that even if we wanted to not step into it we kind of have to and I pray that out of that you would develop habits in us habits that lead to sharing and to living in that way And Lord, I pray that as well as sharing truth, we would be kind. I ask, Lord, that when people encounter us, they would encounter your love. And we thank you that as we go out, we go out with that Hesed love, that love where your everlasting love wraps around us. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, you would give Jesus' house some incredible logistical problems, because bucket loads of people want to come here to gather on a Sunday to be scattered during the week. I really do, Lord, I really do. And I pray that the future of Jesus' house would be an incredible future. Where this church is full of all kinds of people from London and beyond, united in one purpose, making you know. And just before we pray together, we're just going to pray for those online who've been moved or or blessed this evening. Lord, I want to pray for those watching online. I pray firstly for those for whom they needed to put some distractions down this evening. I pray, Lord, that you, the God of liberation, would liberate us from the things that are stopping us getting to you. And I ask, Lord, that their story would change and that you would be the cornerstone of everything in their lives. And Lord, for those watching online and all over the world who want to be good news bearers in their community, open doors, bring favour, anoint by your Spirit, move mountains. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is alive, and you are alive in every nation. And we pray, Lord, that the nations would come to you. And I'd encourage you just where you are as we as we worship too. Pray with someone nearby you. Ask God to bless them. Ask God to open opportunities to them. If you don't know them, ask their names so that you can be praying for them this week. We're God's people together.
0: so I'm a yeah, bit There's that <laughs> real power, I find there's real power in a leader who's from the place. Sweet Holy Spirit, Spirit of the Living God Like at Pentecost come with tongues of fire and rest on every single one of these your children The same way you turned ordinary people and use them for extraordinary exploits May every one of these lives be used for extraordinary exploits in your kingdom. O oh God, may none of, none of us remain the same, Heavenly Father. Uh, put a fire in our hearts, a, a passion in our hearts, O oh God. A boldness, Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God. Father, please hear us, O oh God let this be an army that is unleashed oh god into this city those who are listening online unleashed into your community with the good news the gospel of our lord and savior jesus christ oh father we bless you, God. We thank you, God. And Father, today we commission every single one of these, your children. We commission every single one of your children who's watching online at this point in time. We commission them into the mission field, Heavenly Father. Father, grant utterance, O God. Bring boldness, Heavenly Father. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. We bless you, O God. Heavenly Father, 12 men following your Son Jesus, giving themselves to Him, being empowered by Him, turned the world right side up. Lord, this is really a large multitude in comparison. Use each one of us, Heavenly Father. Use us in our mission field, O God. Spirit of the living God. Tonight, in the same way the disciples were empowered at Pentecost, We declare that an empowering has taken place tonight in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.